in the hallway. He, Brian was coming down the hallway, and I looked up and I said, "Hey, hey, Brian." He's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, Glenn, I just got doing a podcast with Kansas Teacher of the Year." He goes, "In the dark." <laughs> yeah. And I said, "Yeah, <laughs> we did." Here, come sit in the dark with us and talk for a while. <laughs> oh, Sam, it's a good thing you're an adaptable teacher and mom and co-worker. Only us, though. I know. <laughs> Sorry. We're waiting on the electrician. <laughs> No overhead lights for us, they said. It's tough times in education. (laughs) Welcome. You wonder what she was thinking. She rolled with it. She did. And then we were talking about our headphones. Well, you don't have to wear them, but you can if you want to. So we did. And she's like, wow, you really can hear better. You can hear better, but you can't see better. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Jamie and I are talking, because you came back here Friday. We've been trying to set up this interview for a long time. Months, but she's so busy. She is. Samantha Neal, the 2018 Kansas Teacher of the Year. She's got like three full-time jobs. Um, So we were just happy when the email came in. And said, hey, I'm sorry, you know, this isn't me. I kind of lost track. And we were like, no, no, no big deal. And she came into studio to do the interview because we could have Skyped or Zoom or something. She's like, no, yes. I want to come in. Yeah, she wanted to come in. So then Friday, I come back here to look for something in the studio and I flip the light switch and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Why? Nothing. So, yeah, we had a podcast interview with the 2018 Teacher of the Year. Yeah. By Candlelight. Yeah. <laughs> Not by Candlelight. We had well, a, these are, what do you, kind of lights do you call I these? set up a couple of uh, box lights. Box lights. Yep. Yeah. But it was. I mean, okay, no. Only Jamie and I. I, mean, but I know. Sam, Sam rolled with it. That was awesome. Well, she's been to, what, to the Super Bowl and she's been to the <laughs> State House. She's been to Washington, D.C. She's in all these. Oh, she's been to Google. Google. And we bring cool. her here. Well, we wanted to do an adventure there. Oh. So next time, Samantha, you go to Google. <laughs> <laughs> we want to do a destination adventure. <laughs> oh, she was a sport. But, uh, yes, in, in that interview, we got to talk to some great things. Of course, we got it. We told her like 15, 20 minutes and we talked for like 35. I know. And then we talked for a while, even after Afterwards, that, about yes. the woman is just humble, kind. Yes. Um, has a heart of gold. Yes. Loves her kids. Yes. Her real kids and her (laughs) student kids that are all her kids. Yes. So it was great to finally get her in to talk about Samantha Neal. Mm -hmm. So stay tuned. Show starts now. (laughs) 
VentureCast 16. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. I am Obi-Wan Glenobi on Twitter there. And I'm Calamity Jamie H. And we are really excited today because we have the 2018 Kansas Teacher of the Year with us, Samantha Neal. It's good to be here. And you are from my hometown district, Bueller. Yes, I teach at Bueller High School. I've been teaching there for 15 years and I teach high school English. So I've been there. That was my first interview, first job. I've been there my whole career. What did year one look like for you in your strategies? Year one was really kind to me. Like you always hear like a teacher's toughest year is their first year. And I kind of lucked out. I had a really um, easy class that was game for whatever I threw at them. It was year two that made me run for my money a little bit. I actually contemplated leaving the classroom after year two. And it wasn't because I didn't love school and love teaching. It's because I didn't have the classroom management skills that I needed. And looking back now, I didn't understand the trauma that my kids were bringing to school and how to handle that. So now I would do things completely different. But at that point in time, the only thing I knew to do was to sit kids in the hallway if they misbehaved and... Now I know that doesn't work. Is, so is that something that is lacking in um, teacher education, pre-service? Um, I think that it's hard to teach classroom management unless you're actually there. And so I think the lacking part of it is is that kids just really need to be in the classroom. We need student teachers in the classroom as much as possible, observing, helping, and. I also know that many of the colleges, we've gone to talk to 25 colleges this spring as a Kansas Teacher of the Year team. We've talked with them about the importance of making sure that that their students coming out know about trauma, about what our kids are bringing to school, how to handle them, um, how how to really listen and learn about these kids that we're teaching. And when I first started, it was really about content. Like, how are you gonna deliver this content in an exciting way? And it wasn't so much about what was going on in a kid's heart or in a kid's head. And I feel like that's a shift that has happened, especially in the last five years. So previously to that, how did you, you've just done things a little bit differently in your classroom, not just about content from the get go, haven't you? Um, Yeah, I really about my third year, I requested a a class called Impact. And that class really opened my eyes to what it is kids bring to school every day. I became kind of, it's a, it was a, a, I don't want to say a study hall because it was more than that, but I was their advocate. I was their at school mom. I got to know all the aspects of their life. If a kid had a broken pair of glasses, I figured out how to help them get them fixed. And So that started changing what I was doing in my actual classroom. And so much so to the point that now I have a completely flexible seating classroom. Um, It is my goal when kids walk into the room that they say, oh, this room feels comfortable or this feels like home. If I can get them to say that on the very first day, chances are I've got them hooked. So um, that is one of the, the major changes that I have made As a result, I think about how my class would have been different my second year had I had the knowledge that I do now um, and even just a different environment for these kids. I think I was really scared that they would think I was a young teacher and I was, but that I didn't know what I was talking about when really they just want to be heard and they want to feel comfortable and they do want what's best for themselves, even though they're teenagers and they're ornery. And so 
<laughs> so we've and we've been to elementary classrooms mm-hmm. with the flexible seating. You're a high school teacher who says the flexible seating works in a high school environment as well. It does. You know, I don't know that it would work in every single class. I mean, you wouldn't want flexible seating in a science classroom. That would be a <laughs> um, a fire hazard. But I know that we have science teachers who take their kids to the library sometimes on lecture days and they lecture from the couches. Um, it's just a different feel. It lends to different dis- types of discussion. Um, it also allows me to get to the kids easier. If they've got questions or if they're off task, I'm not having to walk down a long row. I can kind of make my way around or I can park down right on the couch next to them and say, let's work on this together. It, it has just made it a much, um, I've taken away that invisible line of this is my desk and this is where I am and this is my stuff and this is where you are. It's really our room. It's become something that I want it to feel like home. I want it to be a place where they can come in and celebrate if they've had successes or come and cry if they've had tragedies um, or just be. And, you know, I thought that it would really affect what I was able to do in class, but we are a one-to-one school district, which has made a huge change in my teaching strategy as well, because we don't have to all face the board. We can we can look at the board on our computers from wherever we're at. We do a lot of um, online interaction uh, discussions. My favorite discussions when the kids won't, you know, they're afraid to talk or they don't want to say something silly is a lot of times I'll get them started online and we'll do like a collaborative Google Doc where I ask questions out to the side and then they answer and they build off each other's answers. And then I pull from their answers to continue the discussion. And so I think just being in that that atmosphere, a lot of times kids will tell me I don't feel like I'm going to fail or desks make me feel like I'm going to get the wrong answer when it's really about the thinking that I want them to do and the kind of thinking that they're going to have to do for these career careers that that don't even exist yet. So, yeah. How long ago? Did you switch? And were you kind of hesitant at first thinking, is this really going to work? You know, or? I switched two years ago, um, but I would say three years ago is when I started bringing some more comfortable chairs into my classroom. Um, I'd had some lawn chairs in my room for a while, but with high school kids, it didn't last very long. But we were halfway through um, the school year and we were having discussion and I did one class discussion at desks and then the other discussion at the the futons and the comfortable seats where we would do our independent reading. And I'm like, you guys, you talked so much more when you were comfortable. What is this? And they're like, I don't know. It just seemed more relaxed. Like I could whisper something to my friend and they'd say, you need to share that. And so it really did change the way that we do things. Um, I don't give a lot of traditional tests and quizzes. I, I try to make what we do as, as conversation based as possible. We do a lot of reflective writing, um, but things that have changed from the very beginning, if, if a kid needs to know what a simile is, we can look it up. I mean, I think about when I was in grade school and they'd say, well, you need to know this because what if you didn't have a calculator someday? Well, now everybody has a calculator on their phone. I have one on my watch. I think that that basic knowledge level skill is important, but being able to think through that um, is also just as important, if not more so, than what we're going to do. I, I I just, that part has changed. So instead of having a, I don't know, a short story test where I ask them 60 different terms and plot line, how to plot out the story, I can ask them like, how did we see similes used in this poem? 
how might that stick with you five years from now when you have a tough situation? What would what would the similes and what they're talking about stick with you? And so I'm always trying to take it to a later in life question when they're when they're working with stuff in class. It's not just a can you recall the definition? So I don't know. That's kind of a it's hard to explain what it exactly is that we do. But, but you're thinking you want them to think and more thinking, less rote learning. Yes, very much so. And I mean, I got to college and didn't know the difference between a simile and a metaphor. I wasn't um, of the tested generation and I did okay. I had to learn it. I mean, I had to buckle down and learn it, but I did okay. Um, But I felt like I had really good thinking skills because I had teachers who engaged us in conversation and critical thinking and um, Socratic circles before Socratic circles were really big. And um, that really benefited me in college. So what do you do with the students that I mean, they're all over skill level wise. Mm -hmm. How do you make and adapt your expectations or your assignments? You know, I I really this. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about how in a perfect world, this might be a little controversial to say, we would no longer need IEPs because we would work to meet the needs of every single kid. And that's just what we would do. Right. So IEPs guarantee that that we will, no matter what, by law, meet their needs. But what if that was just what we did? And I've had a couple classes where I've had paras in my classroom for different students. And we've worked on changing our curriculum at the junior, senior level. And really, I, could, I don't think that I've needed that type of support where they're pulling kids out to take a test or pulling kids out to take a quiz. It's more that extra relationship, that extra set of eyes, that extra proofread, um, that extra life experience. Like I had a a class called technical writing and my para, she worked as an assistant manager at a a local retail store. And she said, I could give you some advice on job applications. And so to include her as one of the, the experts in the room and be able to say, you know, this this teacher Um, our helper here has expert advice on this. And so when we're filling out a job application and talking about it, where it says um, expected wages or expected salaries, I would say, you know, what, what would be a good answer to put there? And she would talk to them about how you don't want to put something too low, but you don't want to put something too high and, and why you would want to do those things. And so it was really bringing in another adult's perspective into the classroom versus pulling kids out of the classroom to take that test or quiz. And I found that a lot of kids, even if she wasn't assigned to work with them, would ask her questions like, can you look at this? Does my resume look okay here? Because she could give them that that real life feedback. So that really changed. When we talk about some of my other kiddos and how we meet their needs, um, I've recently, I've also changed the way that I do reading in class. I don't give book reports anymore. I was really good at cheating on book reports in high school. Um, <laughs> and it dawned on me a few years ago when my nephew had commented, he's like, oh, I got to go do this project. And but don't worry, Aunt Sam, I'm going to I'm going to read the book. And I was like, no, you're not like, I get it. You're busy. <laughs> I totally. And, and then it dawned on me. I'm like, I've been out of school for almost 20 years now and we're still doing it. We're still playing that reading game. So I have um, kiddos who listen to books to get started or follow along. Um, I have one kiddo this year where every now and then I would work with that student and we'd read aloud together. Um, 
because reading can be done in a lot of different ways. And so I, I've really worked to kind of look at how I can make that more authentic for them. As an adult, I've never like gone to Walmart, bought a poster board, put glitter on it because I finished reading a book. I call my friend or um, my, my old college roommate, you know, and we, I'm like, you've got to read this book. It's so good. My sister and I um, pass titles back and forth all the time. And that's what it needs to be for our kids. So I've taken the pressure off of, I'm not going to get this book in t- done in time to get the grade for this assignment to let's persevere through this book. Let's persevere and finish a book because um, you haven't done so since you were in, you know, fifth or sixth grade. Like, let's change that this year. And um, by the end of the year, this year, from what I could gather, I didn't get to keep the same kind of data that I normally would because I was out of the classroom quite a bit. Every kid read at least three books, if not more. And there's no way as a teacher I could grade that much. I mean, we're talking 900 to 1,000 books at least. There's no way. But they're reading, and I trust them. And I think that's why flexible seating works so well, too, is that I trust that for the most part, they're going to be on task because they're invested in what we're doing. Um, Because it looks different. It's not a worksheet. It's not, I don't know, it's not that rote memory type assignment. Is that in the books read? Is that an increase from like your standard maybe? Well, I used to assign one book report per semester. So we're looking at 200 books a year max. If every kid did one, um, 250 maybe. But two years ago, we ended the year and they had read 900 books, 901. And that was of what got recorded. A lot of kids were like, I didn't write it down because I thought that was silly. But it still gave me an idea of where we were at. Last year, we kind of lost track again because I was gone so much with my travels. But I know they were reading because I can see them reading and they're checking out books and they're following each other to the library to, I'm going to go check this book out when she returns it. And that was really cool to see. So yeah, that's awesome. Because instead of having to read it, they wanted to read it. Yeah. And, and there are some students who it was still a have to. But the fear of getting the answer wrong was taken away. So um, one of them commented, he said, we're really going to do this for 10 minutes every day to start class. Yeah, we are. So yeah. let's find a book that you like and <laughs> we'll we'll meet you where you're at because we're going to we're going to read for 10 minutes every day. And I think all but about four or five days this year, we started class with 10 minutes of reading. So that is has helped. The flexible seating has set the atmosphere. They come right in. They start reading on those four or five days where we didn't do that. It was like mutiny. They're like, what are you doing? We want our time. Um, many of them said it's 10 minutes a day where they just get to just be mm-hmm. and just collect their thoughts and relax. And so, I mean, kids work hard. They really do. I think they get this bad rap that they're, you know, this generation's worse than the next or whatever. And they really are worldly kids. They have a worldly vision and they want to help others. They just don't know how to do it. So they work hard each day to, to apply themselves. And I think that having that little bit of laid back time there's no way I could teach that kind of vocabulary or literature. So I had a question for you. You talk about the relationships, you talk about the trauma, and you're obviously very connected to your students. How did you manage all of that and be Kansas Teacher of the Year and your travels and being gone and being a mom and all of that? Um, I've had to give myself a lot of grace. 
Um, even forgetting to reply to emails, you know, I had, I had talked about that earlier that there were a couple emails that just got by me and I just had to say, okay, this is not normally how I would do things, but I have a little bit more on my plate right now. I have a really supportive family in town. Um, my, my husband is a Bueller grad and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and mother-in-law all worked for the district, but it really takes a village to make these things happen. There were some days where I thought I had sent something off to the copy center and had to email a colleague and say, I really need your help. Can you go print these off before, you know, fourth hour today? And um, that's the thing about a school is if you let it be, it really will become a family. And I had to call on them a lot to be family. So, um, and my husband, <laughs> he deserves an award, but like he's he's done a great job juggling kids, doing laundry. Um, I like the new grocery pickups at um, <laughs> our local grocery stores. I could order groceries from Washington, D.C. or California and say, honey, they will be ready tomorrow at eight if you can be there to pick them up. So, I mean, there were some things that really did benefit. I think about how nice that would have been when my kids were babies. But just having to ask for help has probably been one of the biggest lessons I've learned from this is that I have to ask for help. I have to say I'm in over my head. Um, it's definitely like being a first time parent where I thought it was going to be a certain way. Like I was going to blog every Friday and I was going to, I haven't blogged since April. Um, and it's okay because when you're, when you're talking about teacher leadership, that doesn't have a, an expiration date. It doesn't run out. Um, my year may be over at the end of, you know, in November and the end of December, but my leadership isn't over. And that's what I keep telling the team is our job isn't done yet. Like this has really been our year of learning and our, our year of, of taking it all in. And we've learned policy and we've learned advocacy and we've learned um, how to talk to the press and how to pivot back to your talking points. And those are all things that aren't going to go away. So, And when you're talking about the team, you're talking about the Kansas Teacher of the Year team. Yes. Kansas is really unique in the fact that I get, well, I get to travel with the, the other finalists. We are a team and um, most other states don't have that. I was kind of dubbed the teacher with the team for a while um, at some of our national meetings because I would talk about how the Kansas Teacher of the Year program is so unique because eight of us travel together to 26 different colleges. We go to K-State this fall. That'll be our last one. But if you are nominated by a district and you choose to go to the leadership uh, leadership conference that November where you kind of learn about your role as a teacher leader, they will put you on a team and you will travel to each other's school districts and you will learn from each other's districts. No other state does that, um, to my knowledge. Kansas is really unique in how they handle that with teacher leaders and really appreciate the, the voice of teachers. I have always felt very respected, whether I'm talking in front of a room full of superintendents or just one on one with Dr. Watson. Um, they're really listening to what teachers have to say. Do you think that they are looking at Kansas in, in that respect and the leadership of the our redesign efforts, too, that your district is also a part of? The other states, I, I think so, and our state leaders, definitely. But it's fun to be able to talk about what we're doing in Kansas. Um, I've had a couple other states ask me about 
how we've redesigned curriculum at our school or, you know, I talk about how we've got schools in the state that are going to go gradeless from K to two and really work on skills and skill base. And they're like, how are you making that happen? Um, and I say, we've we've got we got the green light. We got the green light from KSDE to do what's right for our kids in our community. And that finally testing is one one test point. It's one day. And if a kid doesn't score as high, it tells us either there's a problem with what's happening in the classroom or there's a heart problem with that kid where he's not invested in himself. And that gives us usable data. It's just what we do with it that makes a difference. And so, you know, there's a lot of states doing great things, but I think Kansas is unique in the fact that our commissioner is not elected. He is appointed by the state board. This is all stuff that I've learned that I didn't didn't really think I needed to know, but it's really <laughs> handy to know. And so we have the opportunity to really have momentum as we go forward with some of these initiatives because it's not going to change in two years or four years. Um, it's going to go as long as we need it to. So, What's been your biggest eye-opener over this experience so far? I think my biggest eye-opener is we always say we're preparing kids for the real world, but I got to go to Google and I got to be on two different Google campuses and we've not seen the real world. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's what I want my classroom to be like. Like, there were bicycles, like if you needed a brain break, you'd go hop on a bicycle and take a brain break. There were outdoor volleyball courts, um, gourmet food. Um, there was a sand volleyball pit. They had meeting spaces outside. I mean, they trust their workers to get things done and be effective, but they also trust their workers to know themselves well enough to take the breaks when they need it so that they can work at their, their highest level. And so when we talk about the real world, I, that is definitely something I would like to see is more teachers getting out into the workforce. And that requires us being able to leave our classrooms um, so that we can see what businesses are doing and what kind of workers they're needing. Because most teachers have gone from the classroom to college and then back to the classroom. So we've not really we've not really seen what that looks like. I, I just think that, you know, some of that's a mindset shift. Teachers, I was guilty of it too, and say, oh, I can't leave my classroom. My kids need me there. They also need me learning. They need me taking those opportunities. Um, and that's really what this semester was. Like I had to explain to my students, like I'm going to be gone a lot, but I'm going to learn so much that I can bring back to Kansas and to our school and to our classroom. And we wouldn't expect like if a, a heart surgeon needed to leave his practice for two weeks to go learn a technique so that it was less invasive and would save more lives, we would send them in a heartbeat. But we don't do that with teachers. And that's got to change. We've got to be able to step out and learn and know that it's okay to be out of our classrooms. And that's not a bad thing if we're going to really improve our practice. Um, now, subplants, how do you do that? <laughs> or is it the same person that comes in? Because... There is something about consistency and the mm -hmm. relationships that, and the tone that you've set for your classroom. I had a really great sub. I had a long-term sub and she and I worked well together. Um, we would text at all hours of the day um, or send each other emails, messages. I helped with the general planning and she would fill in where there were gaps. Um, we shared grading. We brainstormed ideas together. I mean, it was really a team teaching experience and all of the finalists had a long-term sub who was their consistent go-to. Our school districts really worked hard to help facilitate that for us because they know how important it is for the kids to have somebody stable in the classroom. And so 
Um, yeah, I couldn't have done it without my great sub. She was amazing. Um, and, and she loved on the kiddos when I couldn't be there and she wanted what was best for them. And it was different. She commented, she said, when you walk back in the room, they act, they act different and you're probably going to, I mean, it's natural for that to happen, but I felt like they respected her and they appreciated what she brought to them and, and the different perspectives she had too. So yeah, it was really nice to have the consistency. And that was, that was a concern of mine because, well, there aren't exactly waiting lines of teachers no, right now. No, there's not. Substitutes yeah. are extremely hard to come It is hard by. to find them. Yeah. And with you being gone and they're, they're just, normalcy is good. Like starting yeah. with the book. Yeah, it was, it was good. So we, she did a great job and the district was really supportive. There was a, a time there where we were struggling to find someone and you have a supportive school district that says you, you teach, you be in your classroom. Let us make phone calls. Let us take care of this was really, um, really good, um, to have a district that said, we'll do what you need us to do. What, so. what is one thing you do to connect with each student? Oh goodness. Well, I try to play music when they walk into class. Always. I mean, it can change their mood. Like if you're playing Motown and they're having a bad day and they know the song and they start singing along and, um, so I'll do that and they'll request songs sometimes and, um, the books they're reading to sit down and say, tell me what you like about your book. That naturally starts conversation. It's something that you can take further. Um, this past year, it was a little bit more difficult to get to know each of them the way that I normally would, but I think that they knew, I mean, I hope that they knew that I cared about them and still do and always will. I mean, it doesn't just because they leave your classroom doesn't mean that, that that relationship is done. And so that is definitely something that I work to do. Just reflective writing. I'm going to bring back journals this year. I haven't done that in a couple of years where we have conversations that go back and forth and, um, getting to know who they are. I was just talking about this with another state teacher of the year. She's going to be talking to, um, all the state superintendents. And, you know, I said, ours knows our name and he knows when our birthday is and he sends us a card or an email. And we're not a number to him. And I don't want my students to ever be a number to me. Um, just trying to have those real conversations with them about, you know, you came into class a little heavy today is something going on. And, and, with 110, 120 students, it's hard to do that evenly across the board. Some students are much more open than others, but I think between the small purposeful things that you do when they come to class, whether it's music or high fives or special handshakes, um, uh, the, the writing that they do, the journaling, the even responses to what it is they're reading or their takeaways from class, and then the books they're reading lend to really good conversations. So. I'm trying to think how to word this because sitting here talking to you, you are very student first. Yes. Very much so. And I can just see it in the way you're talking and sitting and everything. Over this experience, though, has there been something you got to go do that you're like, you had to pause and stop and go, wow. I feel like any, <laughs> anytime I've gone to um, one of our national events, Google was one of them. I'd never been to a Chiefs game. This allowed me to go to a Chiefs game. Um, and then I got to go to the Super Bowl. Wow. So they gave me tickets to the Super Bowl. And that was that that would be a whole nother like 
podcast session about how I got to the Super Bowl, but um, so you got to say GT and all that. Yeah, yeah, I did actually. That was my goal. We had to make it in by halftime, or they would close the gates and we couldn't get in. And I was like, we will make it to see Justin Timberlake. But um, we were running through the streets of of Minnesota. <laughs> what a way to connect with your kids, though. Yeah. Right. I saw Justin Timberlake. Yeah, but. Um, I even think about how I had the opportunity to talk in front of our lawmakers. Like I have lived in Kansas my whole life and I'd never been to the state Capitol. I always missed that field trip. And so I, not only did I get to go to the Capitol, but in the same day, I got to be recognized with my team on the House and Senate floor. And then I got to testify in front of the Senate and House Education Committees. And um, like even that's a cool thing. So. None of it has been lost on me. You you walk into a, a hotel and you're like, whoa. Um, when we were in Washington, D.C. for Washington Week, you, you've just never been to, as a teacher, if it's not like a Super 8 or a Motel 6 or a Holiday Inn, I'm... <laughs> it's the Ritz. <laughs> and so those opportunities have been really awesome. I did get to participate. Um, Ted Ed is getting ready to launch a TED masterclass in the next year or so. And they believe that teachers need to be telling their stories. And so we got to be part of the alpha testing group for their new app. And we got to partner with one other teacher. And that was a lot of fun to figure out what message you want to say and how you're going to do it. And I still don't know that I did it quite right, but the reflection that you get out of that and the feedback you get to give them and to interact with that corporation. I mean, they they really said, what if every teacher told their story? And that's what they're hoping to do. And so then I was like, well, are you going to do this for students too? And a lot of it's convincing yourself that your story is worth being, being heard. Like your story will help someone. Someone is looking for the answer that you're about to tell. So there's no no dumb or irrelevant story. It's your story will matter to someone. It will resonate with someone. You just have to have the confidence to tell it. Because even if you came from a great home, you came from a great family, you came from all this, it doesn't mean that your life wasn't traumatic. There weren't life experiences that changed you, that shaped you. And that's kind yeah. of what you're you're going with. Something's yeah. going to resonate. Something that has happened to you will resonate or something you're doing in your classroom where somebody goes, oh my gosh, that's the answer to all my classroom management problems. Like that one thing will solve this problem. Um, yeah, I grew up in a family of educators and by all means, we had a great life, but we went through divorce and we went through loss and we went through all of those different things that when you share those stories, um, they do resonate with people. They understand them. And if not, they can empathize or it gives them a different perspective they hadn't thought of. How did that shape you as a teacher? Um, well, and as a mom and as a wife, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm a much more compassionate teacher than I am compassionate mother. Um, as far as my school became home to me, like when my parents were going through struggles, um, other teachers and, and staff workers would step in and they would help us out. And when you look at trauma and you look at ACEs and what it does to a person's life and their health over, over the, the span of time, and you also look at grit and resilience, um, I had a lot of grit and resilience because I was raised in a school, whether it was by my parents or I remember the high school secretary coming to get us a couple nights. We'd spend the night at her house so my parents could... Um, 
go to counseling or, or fight or whatever you do when your, your marriage isn't working. And we didn't have to be witness to that because school stepped in for us. And I think. But someone has to notice that. Yes. And. And how do you teach that? I don't. Can you? What does that look like when you're talking pre-service? When you're talking pre-service, I think that making that, making it known that most teachers go into school because they were good at school. Like they go into teaching because that's what they were good at. That not every kid's going to learn like us. And that's where that, that trauma piece for me has just been huge. Um, I feel like it was that light bulb, aha, neon flickering light. Like it's connecting the dots of things that I, always tried to put together and didn't have a way to do it. And so we have to just keep letting them know that that kids don't learn the same way that we learn and they don't always come from the same backgrounds that we come from, but that doesn't mean that, that they're not capable of great things. We just have to be able to recognize it. And a lot of times that that's more work, excuse me, that's more work. It is something that it's not an easy fix. It's not a the light bulb burnout, so I'm going to put in a new light bulb. It is looking at the whole wiring system. So, so where do you start? One step at a time. I mean, I I look at my own my own life with my husband and my kids. We've in the last two years we opened up our house to foster care and took in one of our students and one of my students. I went home and I've always told my husband, like, there's a chance that a kid might sleep on our couch tonight, (laughs) you know, and nobody's ever taken me up on that. And, but there was this kid and I felt like we could really help him. When I look at the whole like foster care system, that's 7,000 kids in the state of Kansas. That's overwhelming, but I can help this one. And if I can help this one, then he's going to be able to help one. And it's that ripple effect, right? It's that butterfly effect. And um, I don't know, maybe that's glass half full or I'm extremely, but it is a way that I can make that impact. So if I've got a kid who's struggling with behavior in class, we, we don't look at every single thing he's doing wrong. We start working on one of the 15 things that I need for him to work on. And once he's changed that one thing, so that he's more successful then I say, okay, so let's try this now. Let's see, let's see if this helps. Like, you know, and if you look at one thing at a time, which, you know, this semester as busy as I've been, has not been an easy thing to do, but I have to remind myself I can get one thing done well at a time. So how have you managed adopting your, your son, mm-hmm. um, being Kansas teacher of the year, your traveling all the time you're still trying to manage and yet all of this is going on and you still have to take care of you because in the trauma self-care yes. is important so what is your self-care oh goodness um, my self-care has really become audiobooks um where I can tune into a story that shouldn't surprise me <laughs> considering what you teach <laughs> and I'll be honest I'm not a super active reader I struggle sitting down for hours with a book. I love reading. I love learning. Um, it wasn't until recently that I understood the difference between learning and school. I was really good at the school game. Um, but listening to audiobooks in the car or even while I'm getting ready in the morning has become kind of my time. What do you listen to? I listen to young adult novels quite a bit so that I can recommend them to my kids. I finished reading Refugee, um, the Hate You Give, which I'm super excited to go see that movie. Um, All American Boys. I like reading things that deal with 
um, current or cultural themes that we're seeing in the news and in social media so that I have a better understanding of what's happening because, you know, I I am a 38, well, almost 38-year-old white woman. I will never be a young teenage boy who lives in um, a gang neighborhood, but I can read about what that's like and have a little bit more empathy as to what that is, and I can learn about structural racism and implicit bias and all these different things that shape our society so that I have a better idea of what someone else might be going through. And so I like to find books that I can't necessarily relate to as a person um, to the protagonist because that's when I feel like I can disconnect and really learn. Um, I'm also, and I, I kind of have like five audiobooks going right now, but um, reading again about trauma I listen to that and, and trauma's heavy, so I can only listen to a chapter or two. Well, that's what I wondered, how you find balance yeah. because you can't be sucked into this because you still need. So a chapter or two of that, um, my, my teenager and I, we like to watch Friends together a lot. Yes. <laughs> Friends, yeah. I know, I was yes. we, Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat this yes. morning. So we watch Friends and they just put MASH on Hulu, so we've been watching some MASH yes, and just kind of disconnect that way. I don't know. We have um, in our basement, our basement is where we um, shoot Nerf guns and dodgeball. <laughs> and I have three boys. And so we, the wrestling and the roughhousing and the, that, that is really what, and even though I'm not always, sometimes I watch from afar cause I usually get hurt, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think just, it's so different than what I typically do just to watch them. I mean, we, we took Nerf guns through the house. Like normally our rule is Nerf guns stay in the basement, but they're like, mom, come play with us. So I have to detach and be mom and play with them. And, um, I don't really know that there's a lot of time where it's just me, but I try to switch from run one role to the next to the next before I feel burnout on one of them. Do you get to that burnout? Yeah, I do. A couple, yeah, yeah, my husband would tell you I do, that that's when the tears come or I feel very ineffective or I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. And he'll remind me, I think you need a break or you need to go for a walk or why don't you Because you, you just need to reset. Yep. Just going. So. Yes. Well, Sam, we've been talking over 30 minutes now. Oh my. I, I want to keep talking to her. I know. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you a loaded question. Okay. One last loaded question. Besides being, coming back and being a guest on adventure casting in mm -hmm. what's the future hold for for samantha neal i'm headed back to my classroom i've been asked that question a lot and without hesitation i can say i'm going back to my classroom um i want to keep learning i want to take classes but i get to teach my nephew next year and how exciting oh, yes. it's it's that kind of thing like that's i'm excited about those opportunities to be able to continue to teach in my community and also lead from my classroom. I don't have to leave my classroom to blog or to tweet um, or to be um, politically active. I, I don't have to leave to do that. And it used to be that you had to leave to become an administrator to lead. And I don't feel that push right now. So maybe someday. Do you see that in your future administration? I don't know that I do. I am not a very good person when it comes to conflict. I always cry. <laughs> I think there's a lot of, you know, you're, you're as a principal, not only are you leading, but you're resolving conflict and you're, um, I mean, our principal does a great job, but think about working with difficult parents or difficult teachers, difficult kids. 
You know where your skills are. I think so. I, I your my, heart. My is. dad was a principal. I really thought one day that I would do it, but I don't know. I just really like being in the classroom. So as of now, that's it. I'm going home. All right. Well, Sam, so. we really appreciate you taking the time to come out to come in studio even. Yes. Oh, well, thank you, you for having me. I, Absolutely. And and again, the door is always open. I'm sure we could. I know Jamie I could. I want to plan a classroom visit. Yes, we could. Absolutely. Yes, that'd be great. We had talked about it last spring and then I was gone. So yes. well, so, this year's going to be different. Yep. It'll be good. You're All welcome right. anytime. All right. We'll see redesign in action, too. Yep. <laughs> but you've already been doing it. Now you just have the full go ahead. Yeah. Yep. Now we have the green light. So you did mention... Tweeting? Um, yes. How, how can someone follow um, you or get a hold of you or something? At SJ Neal, N E I L L 13. So 13 was my high school basketball number. Oh, and you are USD 313. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I joke that, you know, never did I, when I, when I got my Twitter, I didn't realize I would use it professionally. And so. I, Thir- I, 13 it is. <laughs> I guess I lied. I got one more question. What? Because I, I find this interesting. You mentioned Twitter. Mm-hmm. How important has that been for your your professional life there? Oh, it's changed everything about it. Um, recently, I've been a little bit more quieter, but it's allowed me to, like, I know that I, if I go to a conference, I'm going to know someone there. Um, I can talk in front of a room full of like 700 kids, no problem. But if I have to be in a room with 30 adults and introduce myself and work the room, I it, that is an uncomfortable thing. But I can walk in and say, oh, you're at so-and-so, and then we have a connection Um, my colleagues and I have shared a lot of resources and I've also been able to interact a lot with teacher to teacher on Twitter. When I ask them questions, they can retweet it or they'll ask questions and tag me in it. So we're able to share resources pretty easily. And and that's really nice. So, so it's not just, Hey, check out this cheesecake I'm having in DC or something. Yeah, no, (laughs) no, not at all. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a hard line to walk as a teacher because teachers are not self promoters. And I don't feel like that's really what, what I do, um, or what my department does. It's more like, we've got a great idea. We want to share it with you or here's something that didn't work so well. We're going to share that with you. Um, that's really, it's really just opened up. It's made the world smaller. So. Well, being open to success and the failures is huge going, Hey, this does not work at all. Yeah. That's and it's happened where I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. And then the kids look at you and you're like, this is not good. (laughs) So and it's important that people know that, too, that you have struggles as a teacher leader and that that's okay. And that's your Kansas teacher of the year. So your life is perfect and it's all roses and it's always been success. Yeah, it really hasn't. I mean, I go back to that year two when I almost left. and But then year three is the year that you took over that. You yeah. wanted to take over that. What, what did you impact. impact? Yeah, it was an impact class. And I wanted, I needed a different challenge. I had to open my heart a different way if I was going to keep doing this. So it was good. I'm glad my, my administration let me do it. And so. All right. Well, yeah. check her out on Twitter. And again, thanks for joining us here on Adventure Cast. Sam will be back sometime, hopefully. We can get her back in. So we can talk to our kids too. Yes. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yes. So check us out on iTunes. We're also on Jamie's favorite. iHeartRadio. Until next time. Ta-da.